Exact Nature loves partnering with the Sobriety Diaries because we are committed to the same goal, helping you strengthen your recovery. Exact Nature's safe, all-natural CBD-based products help you face the challenges of sobriety head-on. Learn more at exactnature.com. And as a listener of the Sobriety Diaries, use the code TSD20 to receive 20% off. Exactnature.com. Welcome to the Sobriety Diaries, friends. My name is Nate. I am a grateful recovering alcoholic six years from my last drink. My sobriety is such a huge part of who I am. I decided that I needed to help others find their voice and share their journey too. The Sobriety Diaries is a video podcast where we share powerful stories of recovery told by those who live them. Head on over to thesobrietydiaries.com where you can join our insiders list for exclusive content, early release episodes, and more. Also, please share this podcast with just one person in your life who may still be struggling. You just never know what they may need to hear today. Recovery is possible. Happy Sober Day, friends. Thank you so much for downloading today's episode and spending part of your day with me here on the Sobriety Diaries. We are continuing our remastered series today as we look back on some of our earlier episodes of the podcast. We are approaching our one-year anniversary, believe it or not, here on the Sobriety Diaries, and I've really been reflecting on how far we've come and what I've learned and the amazing, powerful conversations that I've had with so many beautiful people over the last year. So I decided to pull some episodes out of the vault and remaster them. The podcast, of course, has evolved since we've started, and I've adopted sort of a new format and a new theme. So some of these earlier episodes sound a bit different, so I took the time to re-edit and remaster them, and I wanted to share them again with you and revisit some of my favorite conversations. So let's open the diary on another remastered episode from the Sobriety Diaries Vault. Hey, Michael, how are you? Hello, doing well. Thanks, Nate. Good. Hey, I appreciate your time on this Sunday um, and sort of your willingness to be candid and uh, open. What made you decide to share your story today? You know, I've been now clean and sober for almost two and a half years. And uh, I just feel so great and amazing every day that I really want to be able to share my story with others and help others to see that there's more to life than just being this kind of shell of a person that's going through the motions and suffering from alcoholism or other addiction. Well said. Do you feel as though your sobriety is in jeopardy today? Not at all. Not at all. I'm happier than I ever have been in my whole life. Uh, I have an amazing life now, and it, it just wouldn't be possible if I were still drinking, and I know that. Amen. Well, with that, let's open the diary on Michael. Take it away. All right. So. I guess we'll start um, actually with my childhood. 
Uh, I was a little bit of a problem child. I caused trouble a lot. Um, and I got grounded a lot for that. Um, my dad was pretty strict with the, with the punishments. And I remember there were a couple of years where I would be grounded for an entire summer. Um, and really didn't have a social life. And it was mostly due to my grades. I kind of messed around at school and didn't pay attention. And my dad really wanted me to get good grades and go to college and have the American dream. Um, but I was screwing off a little bit too much. So I was grounded very often and really didn't have a social life. And I think that kind of set me up for Hugh going to college several years later. I all of a sudden was afforded this freedom to have a social life, to go out and drink, to party, to be around all the people I wanted to be around. You know, there was no parental oversight and I wasn't equipped to deal with that in any way. So I kind of went off the deep end and, you know, continued the same pattern of bad grades, uh, skipping class, um, and really shot myself in the foot because I ended up on academic probation and finally academic suspension. Then I dropped out and just fully leaned into, you know, the drinking lifestyle. I was still hanging out with my college buddies, but I wasn't going to the school. We were having giant house parties. Uh, I, you know, I was still in this mountain of student loan debt that I had accrued from going to college for three years, but I had no degree to show for it. So I was like, screw it. Let's just have fun. You know, the partying debt. and yeah, the partying debt, you know, it's real. <laughs> and uh, actually uh, one evening in Pittsburgh, we were having a, a large house party and the police showed up and I was arrested and I had to do a court ordered um, program, uh, some like outpatient rehab and some community service around that. But that really wasn't my wake up call. I didn't take that seriously. You know, my program, I just kind of sat there with my with my arms crossed, not taking it seriously, looking at all these people thinking, you know, these people are jokes. That's not me. Get out of here. I'll never be like that. And, you know, it really could have served as a cautionary tale for me uh, because I did end up like them and I was already going down that road. Mm. But it wasn't a wake up call. And my parents saw that I was screwing off and I had dropped out of college. So they came down and they sat me down and they were like, you know, we we know you're drinking. We know you're partying. It's, it's too much. You need to go away from here and get away from these friends. We think you should go out to California and live with your older brother for a little bit. He'll straighten you out. So I go out to San Francisco, California um, and live with my brother. He's married. He really doesn't have the space for me. Um, so I get a job in the service industry and I get my own place and the pattern continues. You know, I have some roommates. They all, as kids around that 22, 23 year old age like to do, they drink, they party, they do cocaine, all, all of the stuff. So that's where I really actually started drinking more, I would say. Uh, and the plan was to get me away from the drinking that was happening in college, but mm. I found it in California, you know, I'll, right. I'll find a way if it's something I want to do. You took yourself with you to California. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did not leave myself behind. Right. So I was drinking, I was doing cocaine, I was smoking cigarettes. It was the whole package, you know. I was making just enough to pay rent. And then after that, it, I didn't care because I was drinking and partying the rest of the money away. Yep. Um, 
and that continued for years and years and i really ruined a lot of friendships relationships um i was terrible to a lot of people looking back i'm you know terribly sorry for what i did i was i was an awful person i used to wake up the next morning and think oh shoot who do i have to text an apology to or hmm. can i even rekindle this friendship or relationship i screwed up so bad isn't that the worst feeling it's the worst waking up and just shame. wondering what happened the shame Ugh. and it's in your as the day goes on you just remember more tidbits it's really embarrassing at the end of the day uh but you know it really san francisco came to a culmination I was living in a neighborhood called the Tenderloin, which is pretty famous for being uh, full of that. homeless people and junkies yep. and whatnot. And I was partying pretty hard. There's a lot of dive bars and a big scene there. Uh, I was partying a lot. And I remember one night, um, what really cemented the fact that I was kind of in a downward spiral we were out at maybe 5 a.m. after hours at a at a dive bar, you know, locked in. And we were we were walking out, and my friend um, got approached by a homeless gentleman asking him for a dollar. And my friend, he was my friend at the time, reached in, pulled out a bunch of crumpled up money out of his pocket, and the guy, the homeless guy, grabbed a handful of it. And then three of the guys I was with proceeded to start beating the shit out of this homeless guy. And I was just like, oh my God, what is happening around me? This is this is my life. Chaos. And then some drug dealer from across the street comes over and pulls a gun out of his waistband and starts pointing it at us. And I'm like, okay, that's that's it. I'm I'm freaking out of my league here. This is crazy. What am I doing? I'm like surrounded with bad people. This is not the way. So I decide I need to change my lifestyle and I move to New York City. Where else but New York City, right? What's the next step after San Francisco? I was trying to piece those together. Like, <laughs> I decided I needed to get away from this, so I moved to New York City. Not only did I move to New York but... City, I moved to Bushwick, Brooklyn, which is, I'm not sure if anybody's familiar. It's kind of the premier party neighborhood in New York City. Okay. It's famous for like warehouse parties, loft parties, yes. art parties, cocaine, mm. alcohol. Mm. You get the idea. Yeah. So, I moved to Bushwick and guess what? The cycle continues. And it continues even harder than before. It's I'm just around different people. I'm just replacing these characters in my life um, with new versions of themselves. Right. You know, it's the names change, the people are the same. Right. So I'm I'm continuing this kind of lifestyle that I'm on, and it's actually it's getting crazier and crazier. I think this is about the time when I start to realize maybe I should straighten out a little bit. Like I started to have a, a moment of clarity or whatever, whatever you want to call it, where I'm like, geez, this is, you know, I'm now 30, 31 years old and I can't keep up with this lifestyle. And it's just getting crazier and crazier. Um, I'm, a, I'm bartending at dive bars, alcohol's all around me, cocaine's right. all around me. Right. And it's it's not conducive to living at all to continue right. doing these things or so, to jumpstart recovery 
Right. I think, right. you know, you're probably working till two, three in the morning. Oh, you're surrounded by drunks and, and probably six, six a.m. usually. Right. Yeah. And I remember many nights, well, we bars close at 4 a.m. in New York City. So oh, we would right. close up by five. We'd be done. We'd sit and drink and smoke cigarettes and do the last of our cocaine till yeah. 6 a.m. Walk out, the sun's up. You know, you had to bring sunglasses for your nighttime bartending shift because wow. you'd inevitably be leaving when the sun's up. And I'm sure and folks can relate. I'm sure they can. <laughs> and, you know, it's like I knew around then that I wanted to start quitting, but it wasn't for like another four years, I would say, that I really started trying um, just because it was constantly around me and it was just easier to continue with the status quo than it was to try to disrupt. And I really knew that I needed to get out of the service industry if I was ever going to quit. Yeah. But that in and of itself, I'm not sure if you've ever worked in the service industry, it's uh -huh. so hard to get out of the service industry. The money's really good. And all of a sudden you're 35 years old and you have no skills or qualifications outside of making somebody a drink. So who wants to hire you, right? So it's, it's really difficult to get out of the service industry. And I kept trying, I kept dipping my toe into these other things, but the service industry, the money and the lifestyle would always bring me back. Um, and I don't wanna blame like the service industry. I don't wanna blame my parents for grounding me. I don't wanna blame my buddies in college for you know peer pressuring me to drink more. It's all on myself. And I know that, but it's just, it's alcohol is just so accessible and so easy to fall into that trap. So now I'm like 32, 33 and I'm trying, you know, I went and interviewed at UPS and I'm like, oh, maybe that's not for me. I kept making excuses on why I didn't want to leave the service industry. And that's what it was. It was excuses. I was hanging out with this guy. He was a cook in the kitchen at the yeah. bar I worked at. We were we'd closed up shop and it was like now like 7 a.m. And we go back to my apartment and we're just drinking a bottle of whiskey and doing the last of our like garbage cocaine that we had bought. And it's like my roommates are trying to sleep and we're listening to like doom metal at like volume 11. And like I'm sorry to all my roommates throughout all the years, really. But uh, we're, we're listening to like metal and just drinking and doing doing drugs and we run out of cocaine and no dealers will answer their phone at seven in the morning because they're asleep and they have kids and they have real jobs too. Like, so we can't find any drugs. So I remember that I have some Vicodin from years ago when I broke my arm. So proceed to crush up some Vicodin, like six each and parachute them. And I have never been so scared. Wow. I really thought I was going to fucking die. Yeah with all those drugs in my system, I had to go to work the next day. Um, and like, I had like some daytime responsibilities at this place. And I was in the office, nodding out, curled up in a ball, like shaking. I thought I was gonna die. Hmm. And you know, it's that's the closest brush I ever came to like overdosing, I would say, or doing too much, taking too much. You know, I, I was always pretty responsible because I was usually working when I was drunk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I had mm -hmm. to be responsible. But um, on this occasion, I kind of let myself go a little too far. And it really scared me. Um, and I think that was kind of like, okay, I better start getting serious now because I could have died. I, I wanted to start getting serious. So I started formulating a plan in my head. And 
I was going to, you know, quit come hell or high water. So I took a different job and I was still in the service industry, but I was managing a hotel rooftop bar. Hmm. I was mostly working during the day and it was a very big change, very, very big shift. I kind of, you know, shifted away from those characters that I was hanging out with during that rock bottom phase. And I, I cut them off a little bit, you know, I kept them at arm's length. I would be friendly with them, but I certainly wasn't going to go party with them because I knew that would be to my detriment. So I was working at this hotel during the day and the alcohol was still around and there were still excuses to drink. I had to do wine tastings, lead educational alcohol classes for the staff. I was still drinking and I was drinking a lot less and it felt good. I was like, whoa, this feels great. I'm starting to feel better and healthier. Um, And I really liked what I felt, but I knew I really needed to finish that distance, that distancing from the service industry if I were ever to fully quit alcohol because I know it's kind of like this fine balance when I'm just drinking a little bit where I can easily go off the deep end and just start drinking right bottles of whiskey off to the races yeah yeah start calling my guy and trying to get drugs and whatever it is I needed so I eventually ended up taking a job and so much of my story is unfortunately surrounded by my career because they go hand in hand for me, really. Mine is um, too. Yeah, yeah. I, I get it. And, uh, you know, it, I took a job selling memberships at a fitness club, which I was terrible at. And I didn't make any <laughs> money, but I was away from it and I was around healthy people. And, you know, they would have the occasional happy hour and I'd be like, I'm good. I don't want to go. But I think for me, it was just this really time. Time is what it took for me to recover because it took me seeing over and over and over again that imprint of like how this is damaging me how this is screwing up my life and how this is killing me and without that time I don't know that it would have been I don't want to say easy but like for me I felt like I have an atypical story where it was kind of like once I knew it was time I was gonna break free of this addiction come hell or high water because you know I just couldn't do it anymore I had felt too much pain and too much, uh, too much damage to my life. So I get this job selling fitness memberships and I'm out, I'm out of the service industry. We're good then. And that was, that was December 31st, 2018 was the last time I drank. It was New Year's Eve. Um, I remember I just felt like shit already before I even started drinking that day. Yeah. And from the night before or from, I, I think I had like a head cold or something. Got it. But I will, I will say it's been, I don't want to say it's been easy. You know, after I after I did quit, I still tried to go out to bars and drink seltzer water and socialize. Yeah. And I realized that wasn't doing it for me. It's not fun to be in a dimly lit, smelly dive bar if you're drinking club soda. No, it is and not. Around a bunch of drunk people. Right. It's that's the last thing you want to do. Because I didn't know what else to do with my time. That was my whole life up until this point was spent in dive bars and restaurants and you know. So I, I figured out other stuff to do. I got new friends that didn't drink and do drugs. I, I started hiking more. I always had a passion for the outdoors. I started hiking more, camping. Um, I have a really amazing partner and she's super supportive of me. And she also quit drinking as well. So that's super helpful. She was never a big drinker, but to have her by my side and support me through all of this, I 
I don't know if I could have done it without her. Um, but it, it, she makes it a lot easier to be sober every day. Now I try to, you know, I'm trying to undo all the damage that I've done to my body throughout the years, mm. uh, mentally and physically. And I work out every morning. I meditate. I, you know, I eat super healthy. I only drink water and tea. I'm That's trying amazing. to undo the hands of time. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah, it seems like um, need or this want to be the best version of yourself. You said something that I found super interesting. You were you wanted to start quitting or that you were starting to quit. Like you had this plan that you were going to put into place that we sort of lay everything out prior to and like get ready for, um, you know, the actual before we actually jump into it. Do you think that your health consciousness now is um, sort of like one extreme to the next? Do you take it overboard or is it just a healthy way of life? You know, I'm, I'm super cognizant of the fact that often addicts replace one addiction with another. Yes. And I try not to go all in on anything too wholeheartedly. Yeah. You know, everything in moderation now right. because I, I don't want to be that one addiction for another because I feel like that's a very fragile exchange because if you're replacing one addiction with another I feel like it's so easy to jump back into that prior addiction right and it's not really treating the addiction it's treating the drinking that you don't like you're just replacing it with weightlifting or whatever it is that you want to do right for me addiction was like a full package deal it was the cigarettes the alcohol and the cocaine and if I didn't quit all of them at once I would never quit any of them. Mm. And one of the big things that spurred me wanting to quit alcohol was I wanted to quit smoking. Yeah. And I was like, I'll, I'll know, I know I'll never quit smoking if I'm drinking because it's just too easy for me to pick up a cigarette when I'm drinking. Yep. And the cocaine was really just there too so that I could drink more, so that I could keep the party going. Right. Because I really wanted to, it was, for me, it was all about fun in any way I could have fun and support my fun habits being social and being around friends it was it was an all or nothing deal either I quit everything or I'm doomed to fall into the trap of quitting nothing and I I know that I'll never be one of those drinkers that can just go have an afternoon beer with their friends and quit there right that's not me I'm not I'm like a very much all or nothing guy same and if I if I you know probably went and had one beer right now that would be it i'd be smoking doing coke again like it's it's a fine balance for me and it's it's not hard i just don't drink <laughs> like i don't <laughs> want to make it sound easy right it's not easy but it's not hard i just i don't i just don't drink i don't want to wow thank you so much for sharing that um i could definitely relate to a lot of what you said i think uh, one of the biggest things was the service industry. I worked uh, in the restaurant business for a long time, and a lot of my story sort of revolves around that as well. Um, you know, it's not, uh, I don't think it's a negative connotation to the service industry, but there is definitely a way of life, or especially if it's a, a, a a, a bar setting as opposed to a restaurant setting so and, and like you said it, it kind of it sucks you in so i i tried very hard to remove myself uh from that 
um, scene and, and career prior to getting sober as well, uh, because I knew that that would sort of suck me back in. So we definitely have that in common. I'm curious because uh, you kind of just quit cold turkey. What were the physical implications of that? There was a physical component. I definitely had night sweats for six months or so. I would wake up and the bed would be drenched with sweat. Um, I was shaky. I was on edge. I was angry at the world a lot. Hmm. Um, I was, you know, because I was all of a sudden having to deal with emotions that I never had to deal with. I just repressed with alcohol and drugs. But now, you know, I'm a real, I want to say real person because I considered myself a zombie or a shell of a person because I was just going through the motions. Yeah. So now I'm a real person and I have real emotions and feelings. It's weird. (laughs) I feel things and yeah, we covered I'm up having to express myself. Right, we covered up those feelings for so long with drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. You, you start having feelings that you you may not necessarily know or understand as an adult, and it's it's kind of crazy. I don't think um, you know people without addictions or that you know used drugs and alcohol to feel numb understand that, but it is definitely a component of recovery one that i was ill-equipped to deal with post-recovery mm-hmm. but you know i i think meditation and my meditation practice is rel- relatively new but um i'm seeing amazing results i definitely have a temper yeah um, so i think meditation has helped me find like be more centered and stop for a second and think about the situation before i go off the handle and blow my fuse and yeah. get angry at everybody, you know? I ask all my guests about meditation, so I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, can you talk a little bit just about like your meditation routine or, um, you know, your your daily routine in, in regards to your recovery? Absolutely. So my daily routine, um, I wake up and first thing in the morning before I do anything or look at the phone or anything, I take 15 minutes and meditate. And I usually do like a guided med- meditation through calm. I, I find it easier to do a guided meditation than to be left with my own thoughts because yeah. my mind wanders so easily. But meditation you know, really sets the tone for the day with me. And if I do meditate, and I hate to make it so dependent on meditation, but if I do meditate, I, I know I'm going to have a pretty good day. If I don't meditate, I might be off a little bit, feeling a little off. Uh, and then I usually take like an hour and work out. And, uh, you know, it'll either be cardio or some body weight fitness stuff. I'll uh, work out. That makes me just feel much healthier. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I feel like that is a big component because I definitely don't want to drink because I work out and I work really hard to have like a nice physique. And I know if I went and drank, I would be chubby or whatever. It's funny, (laughs) actually, when I, when I, when I drank, I was, I weighed 30 pounds less. Um, so I weighed like 130 pounds. Wow. And. I'm like, I'm 5'11". <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, that's, that's string bean. So it's not healthy. I've had to work really hard at like eating and being healthy to gain weight and get up to like a normal BMI. So, yeah. you know, I don't want to throw all that away either. So it's Good. for me, it's like doing things that make you get further from that addiction because you don't want to jeopardize these things you have. I have a dog, I have a car, I have a fiance, we're buying a house. Amazing. These are all things that wouldn't have been possible with me being the former person that I was. As addicts, we typically use drugs and alcohol 
as a as our primary coping mechanism. Um, what is a new coping skill that you've learned in recovery? I did a guided meditation from Jeff Warren, I believe his name is, on the call map. Yeah. And one of the tools he mentioned was your thoughts and emotions are like Greyhound buses driving through the desert and you're, you're bigger than them. And at any time you can get off a bus, set up a lawn chair and just watch the buses go by. So my thoughts and emotions now become buses and they're just driving through the night desert. I'm sitting there in a lawn chair watching them. So anytime I'm stuck in like this kind of toxic thought pattern where I'm like, maybe, you know, I should throw it all away or this is crazy or I'm angry. I pop out of my thoughts and I'm like, you know, I'm bigger than my thoughts. And uh, I don't have to, I don't have to identify it as that thought, that toxic thought. That's not me. That's just the thought I'm having. And it's now gone on the Greyhound bus. You know, I have to remember also that they are thoughts. They can be fleeting. Um, it helps for me if I vocalize them to another person. Um because I have a lot of crazy thoughts and I have a tendency to want to act on them before I think them through and think about uh, perhaps consequences or things associated uh, with those actions. So uh, I, I like that Greyhound bus uh, analogy. Thanks. That's that. okay. Your thoughts, your thoughts don't define you as a person. Yeah. Your actions do. I needed to go through what I went through too. Absolutely. Everyone has their own journey. What are you grateful for today? Today, I am grateful that I have my life back um, from addiction. Uh, it kind of sounds a little corny, but I'm able to now have kind of that life I wanted. I have an awesome dog. We, I have an amazing fiance. We go hiking like twice a week. Um, I'm able to like meditate and be mindful, work out. I just have like this awesome life that I don't think would be possible if I were drinking. And at the end of the day, I'm grateful for that little nugget in the back of my head that was telling me, you got to quit doing this. The little seed that has now yeah, grown. The seed. Yeah. yeah, that's good. I like that. Any words of hope to leave our listeners with or anything you want to plug, Michael? Yeah, sure. Um, if you're thinking about quitting drinking or slowing down even, uh, whatever you can do to mitigate the addiction that you have, I urge you to do it. Um, there is a life on the other side. There are people that you can connect with that don't drink. There is fulfilling, meaningful relationships that can exist without alcohol and drugs. Also, I wanted to plug um, my Instagram. I'm just starting out with a little bit of thought leadership in the addiction world. My Instagram is be sober curious, all one word. I'm going to be launching a website and blog soon, and it's going to have some words of wisdom. If you're struggling with recovery, it's going to have some cool drinks you can make with, um, mm. with some friends. If you're trying to fit in at like maybe a party and not have a drink, uh, because I used to be a bartender and I still like making drinks, Fun. just ones that don't involve alcohol. Thanks so much for listening today, friends. Hopefully you heard something that resonates with you. And if we help just one person, our job is done. Make sure you check out today's show notes for all of the information on today's episode and how to connect with our guest. 
You can find all things podcast related and subscribe to our show at the sobrietydiaries.com, youtube.com slash Nate Kelly, where we upload today's video podcast and on Instagram at the sobriety diaries pod. Check back every Wednesday for new episodes with new stories to tell. But until then, try your best not to drink and be good to yourself. Bye, friends.